Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Jamie Englehart is here with us again. Gosh, it just seems like a few minutes ago that we talked a few days ago. <laughs> there's, yep. Yeah, there's no time or space in the uh, kingdom of God, in the, in the eternal realm. <laughs> oh, gosh. I want to pick up on something you mentioned just a little bit in the last episode. You talked about your e-courses. One of them, uh, I think you said it was six hours, called What the Hell? And I want to tie that in, Jamie, with what you said about today's generation. You mentioned that pastors can't just pull something out of their hip pocket used a little different term than that because right. <laughs> we were off the air, but uh, uh, I'm a little more inner city when it comes to that. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but we can't do that anymore because people sitting there listening to us, they're going, Oh, let me look up what that word means and what somebody else thinks about that. Well, hell is one of those things that gosh, for years, it didn't sit right with us. Most of us, there was that unease of how could a loving God ever do something like that? But we'd hear people we respected and loved and who had letters after their name in the pulpit talk about hell and talk about how we deserved to go there. And there was nobody to turn to in those days to see Guys, does anybody else have a different view on this? Now, of course, there were a few different views, but most of them were suppressed uh, mightily. <laughs> but today, thanks to you and courses like yours and other people, people can find out, oh, wait a minute. Not only is that not what everybody thinks, that's not even what the first church thought. Uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that course and just that whole phenomenon of people being awakened to things that we always were told that were true, but they just really couldn't be. Well, once you go down the rabbit hole, you know, like Alice in Wonderland, it really starts with getting a revelation of God's grace and love. Because mm -hmm. once people start there, then they start questioning their eschatology because then they're like, now, wait a minute. If God is like Jesus and he's love like this, then how is Rambo Jesus going to come back? Mm -hmm. and slaughter everybody on the planet. You know, so they, they start questioning their end times. Then they start questioning the idea about hell because it doesn't line up at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the idea of <clears throat> Jesus telling us to love our enemies, mm -hmm. but he's going to torture all of his, you know? And so it's almost like one truth leads to another that leads to another that leads to another. And you start mm -hmm. going down that rabbit hole and once you really understand God as this, this God who is light, life, and love, it changes everything. And so the number one question that I would get asked, pastors would bring me in and they'd have me speak a few days. And then they'd say, you know what? We want to do a night where it's Q&A, mm -hmm. you know, where people ask you questions. You're like, you know, you know, you're very well read and understood. And we also know that when you don't know something, you have no problem saying, I don't know. And we know, we trust that you're not going to go down some areas that the church isn't ready for yet, you know, that kind of thing. 
And I tell him, I said, well, okay, but I just want you to know, someone is going to ask me about hell. And they're like, no, no. I said, All right, I'm just telling you. <laughs> and I would tell them, how far do you want me to go? You want me to say, ask your pastor? Because, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to bring anything. Yeah. You know, when I'm in the church, I mean, I, I'm not there to bring confusion. And the truth is, if that leader's not there, it's going to just lead to more frustration in the body. Sometimes even releasing truth. I mean, even Jesus said to his disciples, I have a whole lot more for you. You're just not ready right now. You know, mm -hmm. so I mean, even Jesus held back on some mm -hmm. things that he could have taught them, you know, which that's just wisdom anyway. Oh, sure. And so every single time I'd be sitting in a chair up front and sure enough, there'd be five or six questions. And all of a sudden, some, all of a sudden someone would say, well, what about this eternal punishment thing? This idea of God frying people forever in hell. And I'd look <laughs> at the pastor, you know, kind of like, where do you want me to go? But every, every single time. So. Uh, it's why for me, what started me on the journey is when my daughter was about nine years old, I preached a conference in Indiana and there was a man who got up and preached the night before me, who was like an old fashioned hellfire and brimstone preacher. Now my kids had heard me talk about it, but they'd never experienced it because it just wasn't the realms they were in. And so he got done. And after the service, we go up to our room and my daughter climbs up in my lap. She's like nine years old. And she said, daddy, she said, that man that spoke tonight has problems. And I said to her, I said, well, sissy, what do you mean? She said, he believes that our Jesus, the Jesus that told us to not render evil for evil, the Jesus that told us to love our enemies, is going to punish and torture all of his forever and ever and ever. She said, daddy, wouldn't that make Jesus a hypocrite or a liar that he would do that when asking us to do the polar opposite? And up till that time, to be honest with you, I'd never thought about it that way. That started me then on a journey of really taking the time to study what is all this really talking about. And so really in the e-course, and I tell people this all the time, I said, never tell someone that you don't believe in hell. There is a biblical place, actually places, three different places, actually translated or mistranslated as hell. But what we do, the moment we hear there's no eternal punishment. People say, oh, you don't believe in hell. Because when they think of hell, they think of eternal punishment and hell as the same thing, which mm -hmm. eternal punishment is just a view of hell. Mm -hmm. You know, there's three major views of hell that are orthodox mm -hmm. all through church history mm -hmm. from annihilationism, which, you know, you just cease to exist when you die. So God's not punishing you. You just die. If, if you're a believer, you live. Otherwise, you die because the wages of sin is death, and that's all there is. You know, then there is eternal punishment and infernalism that you're kept alive forever as an unbeliever and tormented and tortured for all of eternity, which doesn't look anything like Jesus, <laughs> even close. And then there is ultimate reconciliation, which that in the end, there's still a purpose for a hell. They would say that uh, like even like the fire is to cleanse and to purge everything that is unlike God. So then you stand before God who is the lake of fire, you know, because God is a consuming fire. I remember telling my church in Michigan one time, I said, if the only reason you came to Jesus was to escape fire, hell might actually be a better place for you. Because we actually don't have any context of fire and hell being the same place. It says death and hell are cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And then I said, but there's over a hundred times it talks about fire in heaven. You know, there's a river of fire that flows from the throne of God. God is a consuming fire. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's a refiner's fire with fuller soap. I mean, fire is all about God. And when you go to the end of the book of Revelation, 
and it says death and the grave are cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. The word brimstone is actually the Greek word phaon, and in Second Peter, it's translated as divine nature. So you're cast into the lake of fire and divinity. And so it's just very interesting. And so what I did was I took a lot of time breaking down the three major views, and I did my best. And this is one thing I'd like to tell people, Paul, when it comes to any eschatological thing, whether it's actual eschatology about last days or end times or the afterlife, heaven or hell, is all of these views are possibilities. None of them are certainties. Because the truth is, none of us really know. Right. All we do is we that have received his love, according to 1 John 4, we that have believed and received it, we have no fear to stand before God on Judgment Day. You know, so we don't have anything to be afraid of. Now, what happens to other people that have not received his love? That's up to Jesus and not me. You know, so that's not my focus or anything else. It's helping people see, though, that when you walk through the whole Testament, there was no idea anywhere in Jewish thought of punishment in the afterlife. Actually, Jewish thought, the afterlife was all about shame. It was all about Mm -hmm. burial practices. It was all about how you were buried. If you weren't buried properly, you weren't atoned for in the afterlife. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very interesting. And I spent a lot of time dealing with where our ideas of hell come from historically, like from the Babylonian religions, the the Akkadian religion of Northern Babylon, the Zoroastrianism, the Epic of Gilgamesh, Greek mythology. I mean, most of our ideas of punishment in the afterlife actually do not come from Judaism, like at all. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jews believe in soul sleep. They believe that when you died, you went into Sheol, the grave, the abode of the dead, and you slept with your fathers until the Messiah would come. Mm. And awaken you and resurrect. That's if you were a Pharisee. If you were a Sadducee, you just stayed in Sheol. You know, so, <laughs> that's why you were sad. You see, that's why you were sad. You see, <laughs> and, and so you know. I, but I walk people through every verse in Scripture because the truth is this: in any original text in the Septuagint, which is the Greek rendering of the Old Testament, New Testament, mm-hmm. and any uh, like the YLT, the Young's Literal Translation, you will not even find the word hell. Mm-hmm. It literally doesn't exist. And so when you tell people that, and then when you go to the Old Testament and, you know, Job calls hell a place of rest from your enemies. (laughs) You know, I mean, you get to Ezekiel and Ezekiel says, hell is a place of flowing rivers. (laughs) And it's like, wait a minute, that's not the hell I was taught. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah. And there was definitely no rest there. So, you know, it's interesting how when you walk people actually through. And so I spent a lot of time on the history going over the three views, as well as then going to the New Testament. And every time the word hell was used, I read it and broke it down in context Mm. and show you that this was speaking to Jews about Gehenna, which was all about 70 AD when Mm -hmm. 1.2 million Jews were slaughtered by the Romans and their bodies Mm -hmm. were dumped literally Mm -hmm. in the Valley of Hinnom, the Kidron Mm -hmm. Valley in Gehenna, and set on fire by the Romans. Jesus was warning them that was something that literally was going to happen to them, not to us, because the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts says, I preached to you the whole counsel of God. He said, I have not withheld anything from you. I preached the whole counsel of God, but Paul never one time brings brings up hell. So it should at least cause people to think. Yeah, I did my best in teaching it. You know, I definitely let know that I believe eternal punishment is literally horrible, and it's a doctrine of demons, all right? Yeah. I, I had no problem with that. But 
at the same time, I said, I'm not here to tell you which of these to believe. When mm. we're done, you pick the one that looks most like Jesus. Because that's probably <laughs> the one you ought to embrace. Yeah. You know? And and I've no, really good. I had really good feedback from people. I've had people that have yeah. taken other courses on hell who have told me that the other courses were great too, but they said yours was the simplest mm. and probably the most informative that mm. we've heard. And so that's right on my website. If people are interested oh, in that good. subject, we have really good stuff in there. Good. Well, I know there is. And to me, Jesus' clearest teaching on hell, and I think he taught on hell. He didn't use the word, but to me, the clearest teaching he did was in Luke 15 with the older brother who saw the love of God firsthand, saw the fatherhood of God, saw grace, saw exception, inclusion, always being in the family, and didn't like that from the father, and didn't think his own brother deserved it. And as a result, he stayed outside of the party and was angry. That, to me, that's hell. Yeah, and the interesting part about that story to me is the whole story of even when you go to Lazarus and the rich man, is that the whole story of Lazarus and the rich man actually teaches us the preaching of hell doesn't work. You know, because the rich yeah. man, yeah. When, you send, when you send Lazarus back to preach to my five brothers, and the response was, well, they have the law and the prophets and they don't believe. In other words, even if someone goes to hell and comes back and preaches to them, it doesn't work. Yeah. Why? Because it's ultimately, it's the goodness of God that leads us to a change of mind. You know, it, yeah. it, it's not fear that works anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, that whole story actually tells us it doesn't work. <laughs> but for some reason, you know, yeah. evangelicals have chosen last, you know, specifically uh, the last 500 years more than any other time to make the afterlife the whole focus of the gospel rather than the experiencing of the kingdom in this life, focus of the gospel. Yeah. You know, I'm finding more and more that uh, I love and I'm grateful for the background I had in the different church traditions that I was in over the years and pastored in. People were wonderful. Fellowship was wonderful. I'm finding out, though, that uh, most everything I was taught was just the opposite of what's really true. It's <laughs> sad, but true. But on the flip side of that, you know, always looking for the glass, not just to be half full, but totally full. On the flip side of that, what we're learning now, what the Holy Spirit's revealing to all of us now is in such contrast, it's so good and so wonderful to what we thought before that, you know, just didn't resonate. And when we get to tell other people what's always been true about them, not tell them how bad they are, like you talked about the meaning of the words even in the songs we sing, but when we tell them how good they are in Father's eyes, how he loves them, he's always loved them, he's always included them, how grace covers everything, how they're the apple of his eye, they start to smile just like you are. <laughs> and they, Absolutely. It's and, priceless. And, yeah, and one thing that I've seen, it was interesting over in Holland, one of the things they asked me, they're like, so now that you have this understanding, how do you do altar calls? <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, one of the myths in my book is the church has always done altar calls when the truth is it's only been about a 130 year practice. Mm. You know, I mean, good men like George Whitfield and John Wesley, you know, they would go out and preach in a field to 10,000 people. And like Wesley would end his sermon with believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He'd get on his horse and he'd leave. And people would say, well, how do you know if anybody got saved? He said, well, when I come back in six months, if they're in church and they're bearing fruit, I'll tell them they're saved. You know, so there was no idea of come down altar, 
you know, pray this magic prayer. And I told them what I found is I was trained as a young preacher that even putting a sermon together, that you start with the altar call and then you go and, and prepare your sermon. In other words, the whole focus of the service is to inform people of how miserable they are, how needy they are, how desperate they should be to get them to the altar because that was a successful evangelistic meeting. But now they're teaching people who they are in Christ and teaching them to walk in their sonship and awaken them to all that they are now in Christ Jesus. I have less and less need because a lot of those people came down to the altar for the same things for 30 or 40 years because we kept making them needy rather than revealing to them that they've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ, that they've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Christ. And so rather than teach them that and inform them of who they really were, we kept them needy. And a lot of times that was just meeting a insecure need, a lot of times in preachers that wanted to keep people codependent on them because it made them feel good about themselves rather than realizing if we'd done our job as fivefold ministry gifts, they shouldn't need us anymore. I mean, you know, we, we've done our job when they actually, I've grown enough. I mean, I knew I did a good job with my daughter when she got married. And a month later, my wife and I go to her house to have supper and her house is clean. Everything is in place. Everything is in order. She wasn't needy. She was able to now take care of her own house. That's when I knew we did a good job because she's able to now function as an adult without our help. Mm. You know, but most of the churches kept people, little children, they've kept them childish rather than childlike and kept them constantly codependent by telling them constantly who they're not. It's why several years ago, a good friend of mine, we were sitting having a discussion one day and the Lord took us to that passage of scripture where Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, the NASB actually says study in your approval. So the Holy Spirit kept kept taking me to that passage and kept saying this, kept stopping me right here, study to show yourself approved unto God. He said, now stop there and read it again. Study to show yourself approved unto God. And he said, and the Holy Spirit said this, he said, why is it that most Christians and most preachers study to show what disapproves them, to what disqualifies them? When if we're rightly dividing the word of truth, we're studying to show ourselves that we're approved unto God. Uh-huh. He worked, needs not be ashamed. Why? Because he took all my shame. I have nothing to be ashamed of now. And that's rightly dividing the word of truth. If I'm rightly dividing the word of truth, it's now letting people know how qualified they are, not how disqualified they are. It's that's letting worth, them know that, that they're accepted in the beloved. <laughs> you know, that, that changes yeah, everything. That's worth the price of admission right there. Gosh. <laughs> oh, that's great. Gosh. Thank you so much for that, Jamie, and for all the things that you've shared and continue to do uh, around the country and around the world. Uh, You've blessed so many people and continue to. And I, for one, want to thank you for that and tell you how much we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sure. Well, as we finish up, tell people again, if you would, how they can connect with you. uh, Tell them about your book and uh, your conference coming up and all these wonderful things. Sure. First of all, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. I use Facebook more. Just put in my name, Jamie Englehart, and I have a public figure page as well as a personal page. Personal page, I can't add friends because it's full, uh, but you can still follow that page. But I put the same content mostly on both. 
Then you can go to my website, which is www.himhimconnect.net. And on there, I have a store with a lot of teachings. I have my book on there as well as an audio book with commentary. So people that don't have time to read, but they're in a car lot, they can download that and listen to it. And then I also have my first e-course that I just put out. And that is the one that we've just been discussing on hell. It's six hours, uh, professionally videoed, laid out. And right now, I think it's still out there for half price. I have people say to me, why, why are you charging for this? I'm like, well, if you saw how much it cost me to produce it, <laughs> I'm like, you know, let alone just have, I had to actually do a whole other website to be able to uh. make it available for people to even do it. So, I mean, there's definitely costs with it, but it's literally like a college course. It's some rich stuff. So I encourage people to look at that. And then also under in my store, uh, there will be a whole thing for our conference coming up May 12, 13, and 14. And uh, Paul White is going to be our main evening speaker. Paul, to me, is one of my absolute favorite New Covenant teachers. Paul's got an incredible revelation of the grace of God, the kingdom of God, the goodness of God. And then I'm doing a morning session. It's called Transition, as I really believe right now the body of Christ is in one of the biggest transitions we've been in probably since uh, they transitioned out of law into grace uh, 2,000 years ago. I believe we're in a huge reformation right now of shifting views and shifting everything that we're doing. And so would love to have you come be a part of that. And uh, it's a Thursday night, uh, two Friday morning sessions, Friday night, two Saturday morning sessions. And it's uh, in the Louisville, Kentucky area. So people would drive in or fly in mainly into Louisville. And we're over on the Indiana side, just over the river. Uh, But all the information is right there online. They can check that out. That's May 12th through the 14th. Correct. Right. Yeah, Correct. Great. Great. Well, gosh, I hope people will uh, take advantage of all of these things. I can promise you, you'll be enriched and blessed and rewarded if you do. And I just so appreciate you staying true to the course, Jamie, and teaching us and leading us and inspiring us. And the world's a better place because of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for your time being here. In just a few minutes, you're going to be online with a group in Denmark, right? Uh, talking oh, about in, in in I'll, I'll do yeah. it right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. And uh, well, you must are supposed to go to Denmark someday. You can't get Denmark. Yeah, 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 I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's so wonderful just to hear what's happening worldwide. And thanks for taking the time to share it with us today. My privilege. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for being with us today for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray and this week with Jamie Engelhart. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.